Welcome to the latest Spotlight on IRT podcast, where our experts talk about best practices in the field of clinical development and innovations to improve today's clinical trials. This podcast is brought to you by Almac Clinical Technologies, the leader in interactive response technology. For more information, visit www.almacgroup.com. And now, here's your host, Matt Lowry. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Spotlight on IRT podcast. I'm Matt Lowry, and today we want to talk about success. I'm not going to give you the sales pitch that everything is always perfect and wonderful. After all, we've all been on that project. Yes, you know, that project. The one that starts off really laid back, and as the deadline gets closer, things start to get a little more hectic. Next thing you know, you're at the due date, and everyone's scrambling. Many of us have resolved to ourselves that this is the life of a project manager, but it doesn't have to be. When done correctly and when planned accordingly, a project can run smoothly. This all starts with setting up everyone for success and starting things on the correct footing and level setting expectations. And that leads us into our discussion today, the much anticipated kickoff meeting. I've uh, invited two people with a background in seeing the most difficult projects get off the ground to discuss what makes a successful kickoff meeting, and offer some guidance on what to do. Jim Lomker and Julie Cantwell are here to explain how to get that success. Jim, Julie, welcome. And listen, I want to open up with a really basic question. Why is the kickoff meeting so important? It's a great question, Matt. So the kickoff meeting is really the start of the project. It's where our teams can come together. Uh, They get to set expectations, understand each other's needs. The goals and the milestones of the project are set. Uh, Expectations are put out there. People really have an idea of what is going to happen during the life of the study, during the life of the project, um, to really allow them to be successful and to allow the project to kick off successfully. Yeah, and I believe that, you know, what... Julie had mentioned is setting expectations. It gets everybody at the table. So you have a clear levels of accountability and responsibility across the board. So everybody knows that they have skin in the game. I was thinking about it last night as we were, you know, going through some of the questions and topics that we were going to talk about. And of the kickoff meetings I've sat in, more than not, there's a lot of dead space and silence. It's more the project manager comes out and just rolls through their agenda. Any questions, nothing. The ones that have had a really good success rate in the deliverables of the project have been those that have been really interactive throughout the kickoff meeting. Uh, just like a sports event, you know, when you kick off a football game, you know, that's the everybody's playing. And I think that's a key point to make is that kickoff meetings are just not for the project manager to roll it out and say, okay, here we are. It's here are the expectations. Matt, you've got this. Julie, you've got that. And let's go. I totally agree with that. I think having everybody understanding their role, each stakeholder understanding what their responsibility is and what their expectations are through the project really sets the tone for the project, sets the tone for the study, and really does hold people accountable. When you're setting those expectations, this is more than just a meet and greet then. This is an actual, let's start putting some defined measurements out there. It's definitely more than a meet and greet. It's, it's defining really what the project is. 
what is going to be expected of you? Are there deliverables? And what are those deliverables? And what are the milestones we're trying to reach? It's really setting up front the goal of the project and making sure that everybody's on the same page and everybody's accountable for their part. Yeah, I wanted to add it that it's got, it initiates the beginning of the project too. Like there is a definite beginning and, you know, part of the discussion has to go, what is our objective and end point? You know, every project has a def- definitive beginning and hopefully a definitive end. And this kind of encapsulates that whole piece. And Matt, back to what you said, is it just a meet and greet? It is also a meet and greet. I mean, we need to, to focus on getting to know each other. You're going to be working with each other closely. So understanding each role and who they are is important just as much as understanding the projects, the expectations, and deliverables. So what does a client then need to have prepared when they come? This is where everybody comes together, starts putting this definitive. What would you recommend for our listeners, clients, sponsors of clinical trials, to have prepared when they walk into a kickoff meeting? Do they just need the agenda? I would want them to come prepared with the details of the protocol and in their heads how they think a system should be laid out. What, what are the endpoints that they're looking for? What is the data or the information that's important to them? Um, what our job is then is to consult with them and to walk them through during our requirements meetings um, how to accomplish what they need or what they want. Uh, I would come with a calendar, honestly. I think that's a, an important piece that some people um, don't come prepared with. But setting up those meetings and understanding what's next is important. There are milestones that need to be set, and there's milestones that, that need to be met. So um, ensuring that you're prepared to make those sorts of decisions and um, really key meetings uh, in the calendar is, is a good start to a kickoff meeting. So when you're establishing this and getting it set up, what do the frequency of those meetings really start to look like? Is it biweekly? Is it monthly? Is it? So during the during the requirements phase of a project, uh, we typically have about three weeks to define those requirements. Um, that might seem like a long time, but when you're thinking about really going through all of the details and writing those requirements, uh, we would recommend particularly two meetings a week, uh, potentially two hours long. And in those meetings, having the stakeholders be prepared to discuss the requirements, come having reviewed the document and asking questions and, and really engaging themselves to ensure that, that there's not something that is important to the client or the clinical research organization that um, hasn't been on our radar. So kind of being transparent in communication and being involved is really important. Um, so yeah, I would say about maybe two meetings a week, two hours long each is what I would be my expectation. And one of the things, I, and not to backtrack, is the kickoff meeting itself. In the landscape of clinical trials, we've seen a lot of awards come in where a kickoff meeting needs to be scheduled that same week. So we could have an award on a Monday and a kickoff meeting needs to happen Thursday or Friday. So what I'm getting at is that you know, the preparation time, that two or three day window isn't always adequate. So you may need to have subsequent kickoff meetings. Uh, you have your initial one, which Julie mentioned, isn't necessarily a meet and greet. That one I could consider a meet and greet. 
you know, hear it with high-level 10,000-foot expectations and then maybe a subsequent kickoff meeting a week or two later to kind of get things rolling. The caveat is timelines. You know, we're always at the mercy of timelines, so if you don't have the liberty or leisure or luxury of having that time, you may be constrained to having one or two that are... That's a really good point, Jim. And what's, I think, important of that that we hadn't mentioned before is the timelines. And when we plan based on timelines, we're given specific amount of time to our um, development and test and quality assurance resources. So we have to meet that sign-off date in order to guarantee any go-live date. So I think it's really important to know that that sign-off date has to be met, so whatever we need to do to make sure that we're getting those requirements finalized uh, is, is really important and that that expectation is set up front. Now, in the, in the world of clinical trials, there are often times where we may encounter scheduling issues or um, groups being spread out across the globe. In your experience, should these type of meetings, these kickoff, these requirement meetings, be broken up amongst the different areas, do one with drug supply, do one with trial management, do one with data management? Or does it work better when you have all the stakeholders there together working at the same time? So I've seen this done a couple of different ways, but what I've seen as most successful is breaking up the sections, but I still feel it's important to have the stakeholders all available. There are things that can come out of one conversation that affect another area, and I think it's important for all stakeholders to be there and considering those areas. Um, so I, I do see that we tend to focus on, let's say, um, anything related to the subject, uh, the patient, and the different things that will be impactful to the patient. So are we screening? Are we randomizing? And then I see uh, clinical supplies being another specific area where we're focusing on the drug and how that's being defined and how that's being dispensed and, and the back-end stuff of labeling it and, and shipping it and how that all works. And then the third being the study. So any study-level items would be uh, another meeting. And again, that would be more like different caps on your study or different levels um, or milestones I do think it makes sense to split it up into different categories, um, but again, I would not break up the stakeholders. I think having the stakeholders available for each meeting really is impactful and gives some really good insight in other areas and other impacts. Agreed. I, I also believe that there'll be some that spin off integrations as one, Yeah. where you have the IRT and it's either driven, there are decisions within the IRT that are often driven by integration data. And when you do that, you'll, you can, I could see meetings peeling off. Mm -hmm. That gets into requirements meetings and a kind of off topic of a kickoff meeting. But I'm in total agreement with Julie that if we get all the stakeholders in there at the beginning, everyone knows their place or their piece or their part. And then decisions can be made on where to move going forward. And hopefully by those data transfer integration meetings, it's clear what data is wanted or what data is important, mm -hmm. um, which allows for it to be successfully almost like separated. Because um, at that point, requirements are final for the actual systems themselves, and this is more or less what data do you want, what data should be integrated. So I agree with that as well. With the client attending these meetings, who do you believe is kind of the key stakeholders? Who do you feel are the ones that should really be there? 
There's a couple of different groups. I mean, just kind of starting out, it's it's clinical. So, you know, those people that are in and out of that protocol all day and know the specifics of the protocol, uh, the clinical supply folks, they are the the holder of the drug. They're, they're working with, um, you know, manufacturing. They know how much has to be dispensed. They know the quantities. They know all of that detail. Um, biostatistics. So typically there's statisticians involved because they've been working on the protocol, figuring out balance. So having those folks involved in any of the randomization details is, is important from my aspect. Yeah, and as we discussed, all the data management folks, the data integrations people on both sides, I've seen kickoff meetings where one side isn't represented and it almost leaves a space in the meeting that there's someone there that's a key stakeholder wants their questions answered and the other side isn't there to help them kind of get comfortable with where we're going. Do you ever find that quality or regulatory on the client side attends these meetings? I, it, it depends. Sometimes if you think from a quality perspective, um, like a UAT analyst, if, if that type of role is separated out, I have seen that type of role. Um, so more or less looking at the end, the end game or how they're going to do their own testing has been successful. Um, but other regulatory folks I have not seen in attendance. The meetings I've been in, kickoff meetings specific where the stakeholders and there's been quality assurance or regulatory folks in the meeting, it's been more of a fly on the wall and or a consultative fashion. Is there such a thing as too many people being at these meetings? Yes, I, I think just like too many hands in the cookie jar, too many um, people can sometimes cause some unnecessary debates, which in the end, really what should happen is some of those things are discussed ahead of time so that you have your, your main um, leads coming to the table knowing that information and that the time isn't spent with the client teams discussing and making decisions about things that should have already been decided. And I could argue both. I could say no, depending on what the stakeholders and their contributions are to the meeting. And what I'm getting at is, no, there's not a number of that's too high, in my opinion, sometimes, if the meeting stays on the agenda. That's the key part, and that's the key role of the project manager in that kickoff meeting, is they, as long as they're staying on the agenda, and as to Julie said, there's no stakeholders that are coming in there with a their own personal agenda to get their resolution to their questions and that's it and then you know then you've got five or six side conversations happening and the productivity of that meeting goes down a drain so in order to help everybody be better prepared what type of questions do you usually come with then to these meetings that our listeners should be prepared to answer our design manager should be preparing with protocol related questions they have at that point had a chance to fully review the protocol and most likely have started writing uh, requirements based off of the protocol and their proposal. So they're, they're looking at the protocol and proposal and really determining what they feel the client is looking for and what the client needs. So having being prepared to answer those protocol-related questions and then anything from the proposal, uh, having a project manager or design manager from the vendor asking if the protocol is final. Um, we want to make sure we're working off of the most recent and finalized protocol to ensure that there's no time wasted. We want to be as efficient as possible. 
And um, by doing that, we can, you know, hopefully curb some of those other discussions. Right. Adding protocol changes in, or if you're not working off, you're going to lead back to having requirements changes, I'm assuming, which means development changes. And anytime you're changing code, you're introducing risk to the whole situation. Correct. Yes. So working off of a final protocol is is really important and something that we're going to ask right off the bat because we want to make sure that that we're working off of that final version. Um, one of the other things that's going to be asked of you is to schedule those meetings. Our PMs want to make sure that we are able to get your time. We realize everybody's busy and that these meetings can take up some time during your day. So making sure that you're available. Uh, and that you come with your calendars, which I had said earlier, just so we get these things on the books and we can uh, respect your time and uh, also work to get those requirements finalized. And some of the meetings that I've been in, the IRT vendor has come out and asked us what our expectations are around timelines. Uh, often there are discrepancies in the expected dates that they want something to go live versus what we're expecting to deliver on a certain date. and. I'll get into it a little bit more. I know we have a a topic on pitfalls later on that I want to elaborate a little bit, but that's, I think, a key thing to discuss specifically for the project manager role are the timelines with the IRT vendor. As more and more pharma companies move to an outsourcing model, we've seen studies where they have three CROs, six different e-clinical vendors of different types, whether it's an EDC vendor or a central lab, somewhere else it's being shipped off to. Are those also identifiable as key stakeholders, or should it be kept more to the client who's actually running the trial? Does there need to be a consideration around including all that periphery as well into this meeting? I do believe that some of it is important. You have a clinical research organization who's going to be um, having the CRAs that manage the sites, and you're going to have those CRAs that are working hand-in-hand with those sites. So having the input of what a CRA, what could be helpful to a CRA, what um, what is more user-friendly for the site to get better compliance is all things that a clinical research organization or a vendor, lab vendor, whatever type of um, vendor you're, you're mentioning, having their experience on what they've seen is, is really sometimes key. Um, one of the, the great things that we do is um, really consult and make sure that, that we're taking our lessons learned and, and reapplying them. So I would think that other vendors would have that same stakeholder appreciation in, in adding benefit and efficiencies to the projects. And making all those moving parts come together as one. Yes. Absolutely. So we've, we've heard timelines, timelines over and over. We need to establish timelines. We need to get it on the books. What's reasonable? Uh, and I guess it starts with those expectations for the project. What's a reasonable expectation on timelines? Is it two days from the kickoff meeting to the first requirements meeting? Is it two weeks? Is it two months? When, when we're talking about establishing from this meeting the timelines forward, where are those even mentioned to begin with? Timelines to delivery or timelines to the next subsequent meetings? The next subsequent meetings. So I think I mentioned earlier, we typically have about three weeks between our kickoff and our sign-off, having about two meetings per week. You do want to give 
your vendor a little bit of time to to really digest everything that was discussed in that kickoff meeting, go back through the protocol and the requirements and the proposal to make sure that they have that good draft available. Uh, we also want to be able to give our clients the ability to review those requirements thoroughly before the meetings. So I would say definitely a couple of days, knowing that we only have three weeks for requirements. Um, I've seen maybe two or three days in between meetings to allow for our design managers to take the information they gather at these meetings, put them back into requirements, get a draft out, allowing time for the clients to review and then come back together as a team. A lot also depends on the complexity of the system that we're going to build. There may be, you know, if you have a straightforward, simple system that you're going to put in place, obviously the requirements will be shorter along with, you know, the frequency of the meetings need can be spread out or happen less frequently. A more complex system, I've seen people dive in, you know, two days later, as Julie mentioned, then all of a sudden it's another meeting three days later and it's a constant cycle. But given the window of time to build those requirements, it's a necessity to have those meetings on a regular basis to flush out all the questions and get the answers that you need to make sure that once you go into the build phase that everybody's on the same page. How does not having a finalized protocol affect that process? Not having a final protocol really hinders the decision-making, in my opinion. Does it stop it? Uh, I, I just see more or less the debates going on where people are determining, almost trying on the fly to finalize protocol requirements while designing an IRT. And that um, is risky, I think, as you mentioned before. So um, we shouldn't be designing the protocol around the IRT. It should be the IRT designed around the protocol. Additionally, uh, regulation states that you need to have a finalized protocol essentially to move forward. If you don't have that finalized protocol, the greater the risk of open-ended questions and more additions and back and forth with the vendor and the sponsor. Introduce a scope creep, really, and, and it, it delays the finalization of our requirements. So how about amendments? When you start looking at amendments, right, no, no version of software ever gets archived at version zero. When you have an amendment come across, do you then institute a second kickoff meeting if it's a year into the study, two years into the study, three years? Depends on the size of the amendment. You know, if you have a quick change, more often than not, no. With the caveat that it depends on the time from the last amendment. So if you have a system that's been moving along for two years and now you're going to have an amendment two years later where the project manager or the team has changed, it might behoove you to have a mini kickoff meeting to get everybody on the same page so you're moving forward. Conversely, if you've got a system that you just rolled out and a month later you haven't changed your protocol like we discussed earlier or haven't finalized your protocol, something changes and now you've got to go in an opposite direction, yes, I would have, I'd highly recommend having another kickoff meeting just to get everybody back on the same page again and marching to the same beat. And that would also go the same then if you had complete project turnover. I know we've seen in the past complete project teams have turned over where there's no one from the original project and we're a month into the study. 
That yes, I, I think it is a very good tip in order to bring the teams back together, especially because those client teams, if they are brand new team members, they are not always up to speed on what decisions were made before them. So kind of coming back together, reintroducing everything, letting the, the new teammates know what decisions were made and why uh, has been successful instead of waiting until the study is live and the questions then start flowing. So being able to kind of summarize that and get everybody on the same page, I think, uh, has been very successful. All right, so Jim, you had mentioned earlier, too, common pitfalls. I want to talk about that. What are some common pitfalls that you and Julie have seen? You've been to a number of these. Right off the top, the first one that comes to mind is not having the key stakeholders at the meeting. If someone's missing, what often happens is, you know, decisions can be delayed. They're not in line with the project objectives that are laid out. Uh, Again, you're going to probably have to have a follow-up conversation with that person or persons to make sure that everybody is on board with the objectives, deliverables of the project, and who's responsible for what and who's accountable for what. Um, another thing is that I've seen more often than not, and I've dealt with scheduling of teams on projects, is there's a disconnect from your sales team or your business development group to the project team. So you've got your business development team going out making a the sale. They often deal with the procurement team at the sponsor event, you know, partner that we're working with. That gets passed off to the internal project team and the clinical team. And a lot of times the discussions don't happen around timelines. I've seen it where the IRT team, the team that's building the IRT, goes in and they talk to the clinical team and the expectations of the clinical team are, we want it three weeks earlier than what was agreed upon by sales and procurement. And that often causes some hiccups in the process. And it's, you know, more often than not, you've got to go in and have further conversations and see what the key deliverables are and how you're going to achieve those goals. I would also say, um, with regards to pitfalls, with kickoff meetings, we had mentioned about setting expectations. I think it's really important to set those expectations to avoid these pitfalls. Uh, specifically, there's not just one document to sign off on. It's not just a requirements document. There are other things that come into play that need to be reviewed and um, ultimately finalized between the vendor and the sponsor. So making sure that that is all discussed up front and goals and milestones are set, uh, allowing people to plan for those things. We also mentioned time. Your time is valuable. We want to make sure that we're not wasting your time. We don't want to waste anybody's time. So having people come prepared to these meetings is, is hugely important and, and making the best of that time that we have on the calendar, really. Preparation is huge, especially when you have quick turnaround. Because if you have a project team that's coming into this and they haven't had time to prepare, it's a disservice to that project because you've got to really get everybody ramped up and it puts the project, in my mind, immediately at risk. Is this the time to also talk about training and investigator meetings or does that come later? That is one of the deliverables that if it's something we're contracted for, we would be working on between um, our requirements sign-off and our go-live of the system. 
with that being said, yes, I think, you know, those discussions should be ongoing. And that's why sometimes the clinical research organization or those people dealing directly with the sites are impactful and are insightful because they they know firsthand what some of these sites may or may not do and what may be more helpful to share with them or to walk them through in different types of therapeutic areas and different types of dosing. So yes, I think these things should be ongoing once the requirements are signed off on so that it's clear what the expectations are from the other teams as well, from the other stakeholders that aren't included in these meetings, the sites, the, the users of the system. Do you find that when you're working directly with a CRO, studies contracted through a CRO and not the sponsor, is the sponsor present at these meetings or is it just CRO personnel? Uh, I, I do see the presence of sponsors at those meetings. I do feel it's important for them to be in attendance at all of those meetings. They do have a overall importance and responsibility and to be fully involved will only add to the success of the project. What are you finding then recently is the best forms of communication? Is it just through emails and meeting minutes? Initially, I think at the kickoff meeting, that's a face-to-face whenever possible. So you're communicating, you know everyone who's obviously in the world of IRT, it's a global industry, so someone in Europe is not necessarily going to be able to make it for a two-hour meeting in the United States more often than not. So, But after the kickoff meeting occurs, I think the most important thing about communication is consistent, you know, and establishing the communication, what's best for, you know, Matt may not be the best for Mary. And, you know, picking up the phone is, I'm a firm believer that you need to pick up the phone and talk to someone. Obviously, when you're in different time zones and schedules are overlapping, email seems to be, you know, the avenue that most people take. But I've found that when communicating in the email, hey, I need, we need to talk about topics one, two, three, and four, and then get on and follow it up with a phone call to really substantiate and then document what you've talked about. So you have that agreement versus just, you know, an email can go into someone's inbox and sit there unread for a couple days and you're looking for definitive project timelines or decisions being made in a timely fashion. I agree. I think in person or at least on a teleconference with a WebEx is should be somewhat required for uh, requirements review and or review of documents that are also needed for the project. Um, having that, being able to have those discussions and consultation is, is really important in making this successful. Um, in addition, I think that, in addition, having uh, our project managers take our meeting minutes and they send those back to the teams to gain agreement. I think it's just really important that our communication is transparent and that it's agreed upon and it's clear so that everybody is on the same path and at the end we have the same goal in mind. So part of that communication is being transparent, as you said. Is this the time to tell someone when you're looking at a trial design this trial design is either not the best or there are going to be some issues here based on the design of the system. I would say that's part of consultation. 
We, we've worked on loads of projects, and yes, yeah, some of our teams can say, I've worked on a project like this before, and these are some of the pitfalls that I've seen. These are some of the complications that I've seen when this is actually running, uh, and it's live, and, and people are using it. So, um, yes, I, I've definitely seen that now. There's ways to say things, and I think, you know, making sure that we're consulting. Um, ultimately, we are not the experts on your protocol, but uh, we can definitely give you that consultation on what we've seen in the past or what experience levels we have. Uh, well, I just wanted to add that, you know, around the communication piece, every project's going to have its hiccups, errors, situations where something's not going as planned. You need to talk it out. You need to talk through it and communicate because if you let things fester, and Julie and I have been on projects together where we've seen both a lack of communication and it's the issue has snowballed. It has actually you know, gotten way bigger had we dealt with it earlier on. You deal with it earlier on and try and put out what the risks and consequences are by not communicating more openly and transparent. And it needs to go both ways. You know, you need to develop a partnership with, you know, the teams that you're working with in order to build that trust and transparency. It doesn't come overnight. But as Julie said, if there's there's ways of, you know, approaching things and talking things out without having it being contentious or that you're criticizing something that's been done wrong or not the best way to have taken it. When we talk about these type of meetings... We've talked a lot about meeting with the client, but there's a whole internal team that's going to be developing this. And this might be a chicken or the egg question, but what comes first, the internal kickoff or the external? Do you take the information you have and feed it over to your developers and say, what do you think about this? Or do you meet with the client and say, what are your expectations? My preference is to have an internal kickoff. Um, I don't know if that practice is always followed. I think even if you have a quick half hour to an hour meeting, and it doesn't have to be down to, you're drilling down to the grassroots. It's just, one, to get the team familiarized so that when you do go in front of the client or the vendor, that there is a cohesiveness in that team that it's, you can tell by body language when the, a bunch of stakeholders or people who are on the project are just, oh, here, I got to go to a meeting, and it's their first time there. You can just pick up versus you go into a meeting where you've had that let's call it a pre-kickoff meeting prior to the client kickoff. The team is not as cohesive as they'll be after two months of working together, but they have a sense of who's on the project together, which direction, and how they're going to work things through. And it just gives the vendor or sponsor a more, a better comfort level in knowing that this team is familiar with the project needs and deliverables. Is this the time then to start discussing any budgeting questions as well, or should that all be taken care of before you ever get there? Budgeting questions really, they should be happening throughout the requirements reviews. Our PMs and DMs have looked at the proposal. They know what is budgeted for based on that proposal. If something out of scope uh, is suggested or um, discussed, that's when our PMs would say that, yes, that is something that um, that you can have, but that is not in the original budget and would um, increase the scope of the project, which could also not only affect the budget, but the timeline. So I think it's important to know that any type of scope creep like that does have budget and timeline implications and that our PMs 
will be on the lookout for those and bringing them up during the requirement sessions. I just want to add one thing. The PM needs to know what the budget is. I've been in organizations where the project managers do not, they are more timeline managers than true project managers where you're managing the budget and the timeline. So in cases where they don't know the budget, it's hard to have those discussions. If that's the case, then how do you start to handle scope creep? I'm assuming it happens, you get in a meeting and somebody says, oh, we also need this because we just had this approved, or oh, our regulatory came back and said we need to track down to the pill level rather than just at the kit level. How do you address that type of scope creep? That's exactly it, Matt. As soon as somebody brings something up that isn't in the original proposal, uh, we're should be interjecting and saying this is this is not accounted for and we will need to uh, introduce that as additional scope including budget and timelines. Does that call then for just putting the meeting on hiatus and saying until we can get this sorted out let's circle back around or can you still progress through the rest of the agenda? I wouldn't put anything on hiatus at that point it's just a known that that could be an impactful piece of uh, information and that we'll have to do additional digging if, if it is something you want because we'd need to get the level of effort which will determine what the budget impact would be as well as a timeline impact. So um, our, our way of doing it would be to continue the discussions, continue moving forward if that's something that's important to the team. And usually it is, it's a weighing of what's what's important, what's a want versus a need, um, and also consultation from our teams on what's worked, what hasn't worked in the past to see if something like that is really necessary. Sometimes we get in these meetings and we think a little bit too hard or we want to be overly um, uh, compliant with some things where in turn some things do need to be a little bit more flexible and we don't need to go to those extremes. So just taking that into account as well and having those open discussions with our teams is, is important. And I think being consultative is key. Um, with scope creep, a lot of times one change that you may think is monumental makes three or four things easier mm -hmm. downstream. So it's just like Julie said, having those discussions, we've got a litany of resources that we can go back to other project managers other protocols you know how did you handle this in that situation and just go back to that so matt you had asked do we put it on hi hiatus no i think we keep moving along maybe parking lot the item and see if it has an impact anywhere else in the project and then continue to move forward do you ever find it useful to bring a developer or an architect in if you have a particularly complex or complicated project. Yes. We've got architects, technical design analysts that we bring in, even if it gets down to the point where a flow within a project, how is a patient or a subject going to flow through the IRT and bring in those folks to see where the roadblocks are and what's the easiest path to get to where they want to be. What are the main points then of advice you could give to clients and sponsors of these clinical trials moving forward. So they're prepared. Everybody's looking to save time, save money, and look at shorter timelines. My suggestions would be come to those meetings prepared. Come um, involved and prepared to speak to the content of that meeting. Make sure that you're identifying those stakeholders. The stakeholders that are at those meetings, it's very important that they're there. They're aware of what's going on. They're involved. I wanted to ask you one question about stakeholders real quick. Sure. What's the appropriate level? Are we talking about a director level? Are we talking about a VP? Are we talking about your 
frontline clinical supply manager? To me, that stakeholder is going to be who can make the decisions. Who is accountable and able to make those decisions in order to finalize these documents and requirements? So I've got three things or points of advice, Matt. First and foremost, and it's become more important over the past six months in my personal opinion or you know, my, from my vantage point is finalized protocol. Make sure that you get that finalized protocol at the kickoff meeting or shortly thereafter. It's imperative to eliminate risk in the project. Point number two is communication. Communicate, communicate, communicate. I say that all the time, but it is important if you're communicating and building my third point. Understand that this is a process, and more often than not, you need to trust that process in order for it to be a successful project. All right. Well, Julie, Jim, thank you very much for joining us. Some really great information coming out of that. My biggest takeaway from this was going in fully prepared and making sure we have a really defined scope and leveraging the team's experiences and support. Most importantly, it is getting everyone engaged and maintaining a consistent communication set. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Matt Lowry, and this is the Spotlight on IRT Podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Matt. You've been listening to the Spotlight on IRT Podcast. Brought to you by Almac Clinical Technologies. If you have a question for our host or would like to suggest a topic for our next podcast, please visit our podcast page on Almac Clinical University at university.almacgroup.com.